Blog Talk Radio. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show, and each month we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month we have a special guest who is the president of the National Association of School Psychologists. Uh, We have Sally Bass with us. Uh, Welcome, Sally. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you today. Yes, thank you. And um, as many of you know, you've been with us um, over the past year and a half. We've spoken to board members, authors, and other leaders in the public education endeavor. And uh, uh, even after a year and a half, we have just barely scratched the surface on the number of topics we could talk about. And we're proud that we now boast an average of over 5,000 listeners in a month. And uh, so to our new uh, listeners, we, we welcome you and Uh, Glad that you've joined us, and to our uh, return listeners, thanks for being uh, um, here with us again today. And we have today's show is just really um, focused on mental health challenges in our public schools, and uh, we the the statistics are staggering. I won't overwhelm you today with some statistics, but I I do want to share them with you. Um, and Sally um, has agreed uh, to come on and talk about her organization and what they do. Uh, we had another uh, guest planned, and uh, we hope she feels better, uh, Irene Spence from Brooklyn, and um, she is suffering from laryngitis today, and uh, so we just uh, wish her well. Uh, she wasn't uh, going to be able to join us. But um, we're glad to have Sally with us, and um, I, I want to start out, Sally. I, I want to hear a little bit about your organization, but um, I want to throw something out there that I, I, I found um, as, a, as a statistic, and I just thought it was um, really uh, interesting, um, and I don't think a lot of people know about this um, in, in uh, the public sector, um, which is that um, approximately 20% of youth uh, ages 13 to 18 uh, experience severe mental disorders, and this is according to the National Alliance on uh, Mental Illness. And for ages 8 to 15, the estimate is 13. Um, and, you know, one of the things that when I read that, I said 20%, 13 to 18, so we're talking middle to high, and then uh, 13% in elementary school, um, which which really shocked me. I had no idea that those the numbers were as high as that. And so I'd like to know a little bit about your organization, but I also want to hear um, what your uh, members um, who are on the front line uh, dealing with mental health challenges are saying about what they see in school and what they see going on. Certainly. I'm happy to share that with you. Thanks so much. Um, The National Association of School Psychologists is – really has as its vision that all children and youth would thrive in school and that they would also thrive at home and and throughout all of their life. And so our association really is one that empowers school psychologists by uh, uh, advancing effective practices to improve students' learning, 
um, their behavior and their mental health, which is a strong parallel to what we're talking about today, of course. And so as we um, we talk about what's going on in schools, one of the things that comes to me right away because of the work that I do in the St. Paul area it, um, I work cross-culturally almost completely, so I'm going to speak a little bit about my own work, and then we'll speak about the work of those across the nation. I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to be in about 20 states this fall as president of the National Association of School Psychologists, so I've had the opportunity to talk to people about what is going on in their schools, what they wish they could do, and really thinking about what kind of advocacy work that we need to do in Washington and in our individual states if we are going to continue to have people in our in the trenches actually doing the work. So the work in Minnesota I do primarily with the Southeast Asian community, and so what some of the things that I know about that is that compared to white Americans, minorities are less likely to receive the needed mental health services. In fact, often mm-hmm. they receive mm-hmm. poorer quality services in treatment, and they're underrepresented in mental health care research in the United States. So certainly that's something that is of, of concern to all of us as as well. And you may have found that in some of the research that you have done as well. Um, one of the things that I find in working with the Hmong community, the Southeast Asian community, and I'm not sure if you're familiar um, with Hmong people, but they are the people who mm-hmm. protected the Ho Chi Minh Trail during the Vietnam War and yeah. then went into refugee camps in Thailand and then came to the United States. They have no words in their language that describe mental health at all. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens oftentimes in our refugee and immigrant populations is that we have to figure out how do we talk about mental health when there are no words in the heritage language to describe those, um, the characteristics Mm -hmm. of mental health. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. certainly that, that is of concern. The National Association of School Psychologists has many core values, and and one of them, of course, is visionary leadership. And uh, as we lead people across the nation, we're helping them to be strong advocates for mental health issues, as well as uh, helping to do any kind of activities that are going to positively influence the outcome in the lives of students and families and in the schools that we serve. We do that, of course, by collaborating with with others, allied organizations and agencies and others to develop and achieve those shared goals. And then we have continuous improvement, of course, challenging objectives, always looking at the data, trying to decide what is the best professional practice that we can do with children in schools. And then we focus certainly on diversity. We honor the individual, the cultural and contextual differences that um, are in our organizational interactions as they develop um, student um, or affect the student's development, certainly. And then we try to do that, of course, with high standards and with integrity and keeping always our focus on student-centered leadership, student-centered effective practices so that we meet the needs of children who have mental health issues in the schools. Wow. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned something about some of the communities and that you're working with. Um, um, about um, eight years ago or so, I did a study um, mm-hmm. with on school climate, and um, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area was included, in, and they helped uh, my research team 
to um, uh, to translate the survey into Hmong. So oh, um, I'm familiar yeah. with with that group, and um, and certainly um, I think that it, it speaks volumes that there are uh, unique cultural uh, challenges that that communities are going to have because. Uh, in some communities, it's just that mental health is not recognized as um, something that they should focus on or be concerned about, and, right. and that's real. You know, different cultures, communities um, uh, don't don't uh, uh, pay mo- uh, really close attention to that. I do want to bring up one other statistic that I saw that was was interesting to me. Um, was that almost four in ten, and this is another uh, statistic from the CDC, um, that almost four in ten children receive mental health treatment at the child's school. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to get your uh, opinion about this just in terms of, you know, how realistic is that in terms of an expectation uh, that the schools are, have to serve and are serving as, um, I guess, quasi-clinical facilities um, um, capable of doing various levels of mental health treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. What what do you think about that? Well, I actually, I'm I'm pretty positive about it because when I think about where do kids spend most of their time, they spend most Mm -hmm. of their time in school. And so Mm -hmm. if we can provide services there to them in collaboration with community folks as well as um, our trained school-employed people, school psychologists, school social workers, um, school counselors, when those people are highly trained, then they certainly can provide those services quite well right in the school. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, of course we know that our number one thing for students is that they're achieving academically and socially and emotionally, that they're healthy, healthy and that they're able to concentrate on their schoolwork. But part of what helps them to be healthy is if they have a mental illness or they have a mental illness, difficulty that is impacting their achievement that we are providing them services to to help them mm-hmm. uh, you know to coach them and to help them deal with with their issues so that they can achieve sure. well in school sure sure and i guess for me i guess the question uh is less about the qualifications um because the the people i've met have certainly been highly qualified and passionate about the work um that they're doing um, I, I was just thinking more about from a resource, uh, resource uh, perspective. Yeah, that, whether we fiscally um, have enough money you, to do that. Is that what and, you're thinking? Exactly. Well, we both fiscally have the money and that do we have the number of people in the mm-hmm. school. So if we, if, if, you know, if, if we did have all the money we could, because when I look at the numbers that they're talking about, you know, so they're talking about, um, huge numbers of children that are having these difficulties. So, they, so for example, for children four to seventeen, um, are they said approximately two point nine million children receive treatment in addition to medication um, for mental health difficulties. That's a lot of children. That's be a treated. lot of children. So I'm just one. Yeah, and so what I'm thinking is one: Do we have the money? Are people? Uh, or at least from what you're hearing, are school boards and, and communities putting the money there, and do we actually have enough people? Because I, I, I have 
uh, full confidence in the ones that are actually doing the work. It's just mm-hmm. do we have enough of them? I think you, that you're asking very good questions. And I think well, last week I had the opportunity. I was in Washington, D.C., and facilitated a congressional briefing about safety in the schools. And this Mm -hmm. very question came up at that time because as we talk about the number of children that have mental health issues in the schools, we know right away we don't have enough. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough fiscal fiscal resources, nor do we have enough people. And so to have ongoing sustainable funding to fund people to be in schools that's one issue that absolutely needs to be dealt with because local school districts don't have enough money to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. need to have money that's coming from the federal government that comes down to states to be dispersed to schools. So that's an important piece. The other piece of that is for us to have sufficient number of training programs so that we're, we're rolling out the people that we need to service the children. So you you are right on with your questions. I I think that as we look toward the future, it's going to be very critical that we be training more people to deal with mental health issues in schools. It also is another piece of this is for us to have um, excellent partnerships, collaborations across um, agencies, schools, and public um, health agencies. And I know that sometimes we get into these conversations about, well, who who owns the schools and who can come into the schools to provide services. So we have to figure out, you know, when we look at multi-systems, multi-tiered systems of support, we know that school-based folks can really do a great job providing services to the general population of the school and to those receiving uh, those I'm sorry, those needing more service. But there are some students that are, if you think about the triangle, we're always looking at triangles. If you look at the tippy top of the triangle, you're going to see that there are kids that whose um, needs far exceed what we can do in schools. And then we need to partner out with people that are out in the community to help provide that service. It's really important, though, that we, we keep in mind and that we use the people who are um, that are trained who are school-based personnel to deal with the issues that can be dealt with in school because, for one thing, they know school systems. They're, they're are ready to provide the services to the children who are there. And the community people, they're fabulous and they're well-trained and we love partnering with them. So we, we just need to strengthen those partnerships and we can't wait till a kid is in crisis to have the partnership. It needs to be done now. Sure, sure. Very good point. Uh, to our listeners that just called in, you're tuned in to the Perkins platform. We have a uh, guest with us today is uh, Sally Bass, who is the president of the National Association of School Psychologists. And we're having a conversation today about the mental health challenges in our public schools. Um, and towards the end of the show, uh, we invite you, if you have any questions, to call in. That call in number is 347. 826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. And uh, so, Sally, I want to shift a little bit um, and talk um, specifically about um, what what we're seeing and, and in the schools. I, I have a number of colleagues throughout the country, and uh, a number of my students are either uh, district-level administrators, school-level administrators, um, are also talking a lot about 
the number of children that are on medication uh, for the symptoms mm-hmm. of ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. Some years ago, I came across a book, and I think, you know, uh, it, it should certainly be uh, required reading for um, teachers and, and people going in, but it's called Why Gender Matters. It's by uh, Leonard Sachs, MD, PhD. Mm-hmm. was a um, board-certified pediatrician and also a psychologist. And um, in Why Gender Matters, he talks about at the very beginning what made him um, decide to write a book about what he was seeing was that um, he saw an increase in the number of parents who came in and said, um, my child's teacher says that um, he or she should be tested and or uh, prescribed medication for ADHD, and so I'm here to get medication for that. And he started to keep track of the number of people who came in, my teacher, my child's school said. And mm-hmm. um, so he wrote this book, Why Gender Matters, and there's something going on out there, um, but the subtitle uh, to this book is What Parents and Teachers Need to Know About Emerging Science of Sex Differences. Um, the connection here that I want to make between the diagnosis of ADHD and and gender issues that um, the CDC um, same report talked about the fact that boys were prescribed medication nearly twice as often as girls mm-hmm. um, and that older boys were prescribed medication more often than younger boys and older girls were prescribed medication more often than younger girls, which was interesting. But, but here's the piece that really got me, and so I want to hear what you think about this, is that 90% of children who were prescribed medication for emotional or behavioral difficulties received this medication for the symptoms of ADHD, 90% of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So does that surprise you? And if not, tell me a little bit about what even what you see and what some of your membership saying they're seeing about this, this, this increase, this dramatic increase in the number of children who are being diagnosed and prescribed medication for ADHD. You know, it's really interesting. I, I have some strong biases probably about that. ADHD has always been an area of expertise for me and working in schools for many, 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 many years. You know, boys boys are busy, you know, and you talk about the gender part of that. Boys are busy, that's their job, you know, is to be energetic and they're we're training our kids to be very entertained by the media that we have that mm-hmm. they see all the time. And if classroom teachers are not as uh, energetic and um, helping kids to learn at a, at a rate that they can take in information, then they often look ADHD, honestly. And so mm-hmm. I, I worry a little bit about the overdiagnosis. I worry a lot about mm-hmm. the overdiagnosis, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, another part of that is that the kids are being identified so early and mm-hmm. oftentimes even before they go to school. And I know mm-hmm. that, you know, I just think about the little ones and how that, that energy level is um, appropriate. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we want to have our kids be in control, so to speak, mm-hmm. and so it's easy to medicate. And I think that sometimes that that is one of the issues. The you talked about how older kids are are more medicated than, than others. You know, there's 
been a number of stories and some research being done now about uh, kids taking medication for ADHD so that they can study longer when they're preparing for these tests, mm-hmm. our sure. high-stakes yeah. tests. And so I think that maybe constitutes some of that issue for the older kids is that they have found out that if they take the medication, it helps them to focus longer. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a concern. I, part of the mm-hmm. con- I think there are a number of things that are wrapped up in this issue. One is that we are requiring kids to be tested more frequently with high-stakes tests. So it's raising their anxiety. It's raising their need to, as they get older, to be very focused on what they're doing so that they can achieve better. You know, so there's, you know, I guess my thoughts are a little bit random as as we're talking about this because I think there are a number of issues that are impacting this, and it isn't just the constellation of behaviors that are used for identifying ADHD. I think there are some mm-hmm. other things that are, that are at play here. You know, you talk about ADHD, but then we could also talk about, you know, all these all the symptoms that we're seeing of autism now. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a, a big article just came out this week um, that in the Somali population in the Twin Cities that there is a higher, much higher percentage of children who are being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder than of the Somali population than those that are in the white population or the African-American or the Latino population. Okay, so why is that? You know, mm-hmm. there, there just are a number of things around mental health issues right. that that we could bring um, a microscope onto, I think. Right, right. Well, you know, and, and of course, ADHD is just one. Um, some years ago, there was a school in California I was working with, and 15% of that, the population of kids in this middle school um, were diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. um, that um, as a result of a very violent community in, right. in California. Mm-hmm. And they were diagnosed, 15% were diagnosed PTSD. And so we have lots and lots of numbers. But one of the things that I'm hearing more of from uh, uh, administrators around the country, school-level administrators, are the number of children that are having crises in their schools where um, very young children that are being um, uh, are being taken to the hospital in an ambulance mm-hmm. and, and where the principal has to send people to the hospital with them. I've, I've had probably, I've heard this story at least a dozen times just since September where children are having these crises and, and they're going, uh, you know, staff members have to go to the hospital um, right. and be with children until the parents can arrive and, and mm-hmm. so that there's some real um, challenges out there from the school's perspective of, of, of having the resources to do that, but there's some other real um, some, some real issues that it just does not appear from my perspective is being um, uh, that this this issue of, of mental health is being taken seriously um, and and I just wonder what you see and what you're hearing from your membership about. Um, those specific challenges where we're not talking about, you know, autism or, or even ADHD, but some of the real, the, the, the real challenges that are the result of, of um, children experiencing uh, trauma 
uh, and living in violent neighborhoods, violent homes, and what have you. Um, mm-hmm. What are you? What, how are you preparing people to uh, to deal with those kinds of challenges? Well, those challenges are definitely out there, and as I talk with people across the nation, you know, I'm hearing it from. Um, people, children who are being diagnosed with PTSD from some of the, even in areas where there has been like bad tornadoes or other kinds of um, weather-related trauma where mm-hmm. they've been separated mm-hmm. from their parents, you know, the, the whole New Orleans piece with, with all of that. Mm-hmm. And then there have been, there were some um, tornadoes in, down in Oklahoma that were yeah. where kids were it, it's just kind of across the nation there have been issues like that that are are concerning and that doesn't necessarily speak to taking kids quickly to the hospital from you know from their elementary classroom but some but that is another one of the issues that we're dealing with with children who all of a sudden have these strong reactions to things um certainly we are seeing children with mental health issues that have a manic episode and then we're taking them off to the hospital and i've had a number of, of children like that that i've worked with this year myself and that's very difficult and i think that we don't have enough people trained in our classrooms to to respond to all that one of the things that Minnesota has done, and, and some other states are probably doing the same thing, and that is we have created some curriculum to train our teachers in the early warning signs of children's mental illness. And so mm-hmm. by going around, we've done some train the trainer and going around to different regions in, in our state, training teachers so that they have some idea of what they're seeing, that they may not just be seeing bad behavior, but they're seeing mm-hmm. an emerging mental illness that comes mm-hmm. about. Yes. And so yes. I think as we train our teachers and we have more professionals in our schools who can respond to these issues, our children are going to be better off. They're going to be safer. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to intervene earlier so that we don't have instances like what happened out um, in Colorado last week, you know, when mm-hmm. a young sure. man brought a rifle into school looking for a teacher who he was upset with. You know, mm-hmm. sad, sad, sad situations. And yeah. these are kids yeah. that have looked typical and normal to a point, and then something pushes them over. So right. we have a lot to respond to in schools today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you make an excellent point talking about the um, things coming up that are not just you know, run-of-the-mill ordinary discipline problems, but they are, in fact, emerging uh, mental health issues um, mm-hmm. that uh, people have not been uh, trained well to deal with. I, I tell you what, and, and it's not just teachers or people who are in the school. Some of it sometimes has to do with um, other support personnel that I've heard um, um, uh, individuals have, have described um, some of the first re- responders at a school, mm-hmm. obviously, are the police officers. And, exactly. Um, and, exactly. And they don't always yeah. have the, the most appropriate training for dealing with that. But in some cases, uh, police officers have said things like, you know, to a child who's having an anxiety attack, um, okay, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to put you in handcuffs and take you to mm-hmm. the hospital. And Which increases with, their anxiety. It, exactly, exactly, exactly. And and so it just it's 
it's not just the school that has to deal with mm-hmm. it, um, but but I, I guess just the numbers suggest to me that we need to take a systemic approach to how are we dealing with uh, the mental health um, crisis um, in America um, mm-hmm. overall uh, because it is systemic and we, we have more points of interaction than just the school because you mentioned they spend most of their time at school but there are other places that um, are just that some of the people in these in, in these uh, other support roles are, are not trained well yeah just you know to hitchhike on something that you just said a minute ago um, at the briefing in Washington last week Mo Kennedy was there and I, I don't know if you're familiar with him he's the national president for uh, the National School Officers Association and what a dynamic gentleman and had so much to share about how they're training police officers who are going into schools about how to deal with mental health issues and how to Mm -hmm. deal Mm -hmm. with the threats that are happening in schools. So, you know, he would be another great person for you to talk to on on this particular issue because he has has done a lot of training. Um, with police officers. So when you we mm-hmm. talk about police officers needing training, the ones in schools and the ones in the community, uh, once again, we can't wait until a crisis happens in a school. We mm-hmm. need to build those relationships with the community very early on so that we're yeah. ready in case there is a crisis so that we're not, you know, we have this climate of trust between the community folks and the school folks so that we're ready to work together. It's really critical. Yes, yes. Well, you know, this. I, I want to thank you, Sally. This has been very, very informative, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule uh, to come and speak to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I've received a number of emails prior to the show, uh, people saying that they were really looking forward to hearing what you had to say. Um, I know we we talked before, and we're going to, talk again after this to see where some of our work overlaps um, in schools. And so, uh, again, I just want to thank you, and I want to thank our listeners for being with us again today. I want to ask that, uh, you know, you join us again um, next month. We will be here, um, and and we have uh, two uh, special guests as well. On uh, January 15th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be talking about um, the International Baccalaureate Program, and we have a representative from IB organization in Baltimore, as well as the principal who just uh, in an urban area who just got approved for a middle grades program uh, for IB. So we ask you to tune back in um, on the 15th of January at 2 p.m. And so, um, as usual, we want to uh, thank uh, again thank our guests, and we ask you to join us again. Um, for some very interesting uh, topics in education leadership. And so until next time, go well, stay well.